It's a great time of the year. Beautiful music and so much to sing about. And people go away and visit this weekend. A bunch of people are gone away. And, I, and some people are in town that aren't normally in town. Yesterday, Lois said, I think you said, Lois, you bumped into Tom and Lisa Counts. And I was sitting up here on the platform. I thought of that. I look up in the balcony and there they are right there. Tom and Lisa, welcome back. And we miss you. And I'll give up four minutes of my preaching time on Christmas Eve if you sing. So, are you planning to be here? Yeah, this is a very popular decision on my part. You plan on being here? Good. All right. So, it's a deal. So, I'll give up four minutes. You've got to find a song that's four minutes. and That's, that's good, right? You can do that. That'd be delightful. <laughs> and, uh, oh, wow. That's cool. So, and we're glad to he- see each one of you. It's such a pleasure, such a happiness this time of the year to, to see each of you and to realize it's the love of Jesus Christ that's drawn us together and made us friends. That's so meaningful, because we're made for relationships. God didn't make any of us to be alone. He didn't make any of us just to, to be selfish and, and even, to, to kinda, even to be in our families, which are so wonderful. He didn't make it that way. He made us to help one another, to love one another, to care for one another. That's such a Christmas thing. In Matthew chapter 1, we have one of the most beautiful parts of the Christmas story. One of the most beautiful expressions of the Christmas story is in Matthew chapter 1 and verses 18 through 23. I want to read that to you. You may want to read along this morning in this beautiful part of the the Christmas story. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bring forth a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. God with us. Well, Christmas is a wonderful time of the year. And even though it's a time of the year that all over the world Christians are celebrating that God is with us, ironically, it's one of the loneliest times of the year for a lot of people. And sometimes that's because they live alone. And other times it's because of the emotional brokenness that goes along with living in a fallen world that even though we're in a crowd, we feel alone sometimes. Even though we get, we're in a big church, sometimes we don't feel connected. Even though we're in a marriage, maybe even a happy marriage, still the marriage itself isn't enough to drive away all the feelings of being unloved or alone. This is a very common problem. It's what I want to talk about today. I have a story in the Bible I want to tell you today. It's the place in the Bible that I would most naturally go when I'm looking for an example of a person who felt unloved. It has an amazing Christmas connection. It's found in Genesis chapter 29. You might want to follow along. In Genesis chapter 29, it's the story of a woman whose name was Leah. Rachel, if you recall, was Leah's 
younger sister, a very beautiful woman. She was attractive. She was so attractive that a man was willing to work for 14 years to get her. You remember how the story goes? It's Jacob we're talking about. Jacob meets Rachel, wants to marry her. She's beautiful. The, the sparks fly. He goes to Laban, her father, says, can, can I marry her? He says, yes, if you work for me for seven years. He works for Laban for seven years. On his wedding night, he, he ends up waking up with the older sister, Leah. Jacob was a trickster, and he got tricked really bad right there. And Jacob's story is a big story in the Bible that occupies like the beginning of the Bible, the book of Genesis. A big chunk of it is about Jacob and about how Jacob kind of starts out rough and kind of ends up being called God's prince. But in this case, he he'd tricked people before, and now he gets tricked in a huge irony of the Bible. He's married to a woman that he, the Bible says he really doesn't love. So we often think, you know, Jacob is the character that we look at, and it's easy for us to overlook Leah. How do you imagine that Leah felt? We don't have to imagine because the Bible's pretty clear about it. We'll read about it in a moment. But understand now, that, get the picture in your mind. Laban, Leah's father, got her married off through trickery. Her sister, or Leah was, uh, Leah was a mother of six sons, became the mother of six sons and a daughter. Her six sons, Leah's six sons, became heads of tribes of Israel. She struggled with rejection, a lack of love. In the text, in, in, the, in a cluster of verses from Genesis 29 and 30, it mentions no less than six times that she felt unloved. It's interesting when you look at, and this happened on, on a, early on a January morning as I was starting to read through my Bible. It occurred to me that this woman is a great example or a bad example, however you want to put it, of a person who's lonely and a person who's unloved and a person who's rejected. And you can see it just in the little commentary about her life and the little story of her life. You can see it in a lot of different things, but in particular you can see it in the way she names her sons. She gives her sons names that basically almost all of them mean maybe my husband will love me now. Maybe my husband will accept me now. Maybe my husband will be attached to me now. When Judah comes along, she says, praise the Lord, which may be an evidence of growth in her life, or it also just may be another way of saying, oh, praise the Lord, now I have a son who's going to make my husband love me and people respect me. And maybe these feelings of being unloved will go away now that I've had another baby and my husband will have this regard for me. In chapter 29, let me just read it to you. Verse, uh, verse, uh, chapter 29 and verse 30, Jacob also went to Rachel, also loved Rachel more than Leah, and he served with Laban still another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So Leah conceived and bore a son, called his name Reuben, for she said, The Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. Verse 33, she conceived again, bore a son, and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son, and called his name Simeon. The Lord has heard. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was Levi, or attached. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now I will praise the Lord. For, there, for Therefore she called his name Judah. And then she stopped bearing. And later she 
She bears two more sons. Chapter 30 and verse 17, God listened to Leah. She conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I have given my maid to my husband. So she called his name Issachar, means wages. Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun, mean dwelling, dwell with me. Can you see this? The way she named her sons was an obvious indication of her emotional well-being, the state of her spiritual journey. And reading from that, you can see that all this woman's life, she longed for her husband's love, but didn't get it. She was lonely and unloved, even though she was a busy woman. She had regular sexual relations, but she didn't have the intimacy that she longed for. At one point, a kind of a sordid, sad point in the story, chapter 30 and verse 14, I'll just read it to you. It's obviously very sad. I don't need to comment on it. Reuben went in the days of the wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. She said to her, is it a small matter that you've taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? Rachel says, therefore he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. Jacob came out of the field in the evening. Leah went to meet him and said, you must come in to me for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. Is that sick or what? So she can't just attract a husband and marry normally or her dad has to trick a guy into marrying her and to get her husband to be with her she has to actually pay his favorite wife it's really sad what would be going on in the soul of a person like that well the bible is very clear that she felt unloved she was also robbed of the natural love and fellowship that sisters would enjoy because of her dad's weirdness even though she experienced a lot of, no doubt, she experienced love through her children. Her children were also kind of messed up because of the way the family was, and there was ongoing generational conflict because her people that went before her were emotionally messed up, and she was messed up, and her kids were messed up. And if you, in case you're wondering, you can read the whole book of Genesis, and you can't find anybody in there who isn't messed up. Can I get an amen on that? Kind of a sad amen. Well, amen. That's the impression we're supposed to get when we read Genesis. Look at the sorry lot of people that God did such a beautiful and wonderful work with. Very encouraging when you read the book of Genesis. Interestingly enough, I noticed that there's not a word in the story that Rachel loved Jacob. But there's a lot of words that Jacob didn't love Leah. And we can learn from Leah. And I got some lessons. This is going to be short. Less than an hour. Some lessons this morning that will help you if you have ever experienced feeling lonely or unloved. Some of you, you say, well, lonely? It's obvious I'm lonely. I've been wanting to be married for a long time, and I'm not married. Or I used to be married, and it's even worse, and now I'm alone. Through divorce or, or through death, you're alone. But what is shocking is to find out how many people are married and busy and feel unloved and feel alone. And sometimes that, I don't know if it's worse, but they can't really talk about it very much. Because probably more of us feel unloved and lonely than we openly admit. And maybe you just have periods of intense feelings. I just kind of think Christmas is a time when whatever you feel, you feel very deeply. And so if you're happy or especially happy at Christmas, and if you're lonely... 
you're especially lonely at Christmas. And if you feel unloved, sometimes that can be intense at Christmas time. Let's learn from Leah just some lessons. First of all, believe that God knows your pain. Believe that God knows your pain. Why am I saying that? Look there in chapter 29 and verse 32. And you'll notice that it says that God sees and God hears. God sees and He hears. And this is good to know. Verse 31, the Lord saw that Leah was unloved. It's like Jacob didn't get it. Did Laban get it? Did Rachel get it? We don't know, but God got it. God saw that she was unloved. He opened her womb, for Rachel was barren. Leah conceived, bore a son, called his name Reuben. For she said, the Lord has surely looked on my affliction. And then, verse 33, she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard... She named him. He saw. He heard. He did. You may think you're completely alone and nobody cares. You're suffering something people don't understand. Maybe they could come along and say, well, you have every reason to be happy. Look at you. Your life is full and happy. You have these kids or you have this husband or you have that wife or you have, you have more money than the average person or you're good looking or whatever. But in your heart, it's like, that's not true. You don't know my pain. You don't know what I go through. You don't know how I feel in the dark hours of the night when I'm sad, when I'm lonely, when I feel unloved. And sometimes that unloved feeling, it isn't the fault of the people that are in your life. It's because of things that have happened that have hurt you and kind of made you who you are because of your hurt in the past, and there's this intense, heavy sense of loneliness and feeling unloved, and you feel like nobody understands that. And I can tell you this, God sees that, and He understands that. Believe, that's the first step to work in your way how to overcome feelings of being, uh, feeling unloved and lonely. The first step is believe that God understands how you feel. Believe that God sees. He knows your heartache. Believe something else. Believe that God, not only does He see it and He hears it, but He actually compensates for it. Now this is the way God works. This is His grace. It's like He's poised to pour gifts into the lives of people who have been hurt. And this is often true. You can see it kind of in the natural with a person that maybe has a serious physical handicap and then God is compensated by giving them a brilliant spirit or an outstanding joy or, or a gift of music or brilliance in some other area. You can see in the natural that God compensates. But this is supernatural. And in her life, you can see he saw she was unloved and he gave her children. It's, it says it that way in the Bible. Verse 31, when the Lord saw Leah was unloved, he opened her womb. Can you imagine this woman who hadn't had that sense of love and being cherished and felt alone, even though she was in a relationship, kind of being used and then set aside, and then she had her first baby. Can you just imagine the incredible love that she must have had for that baby And the incredible sense of grace that must have come into her life that God would give her a baby. But it was even then a little messed up. Because instead of saying, God, thank you for this gift. You're good to me even when people aren't good to me. She said, now maybe my husband will love me. She didn't have it quite right, did she? But God compensates. God gives his full attention to people who are suffering. I don't know what it is that has hurt you. All of us have been hurt in in some ways, some intensely, some in ways that are shameful and dark and you can't talk about them and maybe nobody knows or very few people know, but God knows and he sees and he compensates. He stands ready to compensate. Here's what Jesus is like. Often we think, well, 
Jesus is a person. Jesus was a person who was, you know, kind of willing to receive people even if they were messed up. And lately, God has shown me that that is not true. Lately, what God has shown me is Jesus is not a person who is willing to receive people even when they're messed up. Jesus is the kind of person who has a magnetic attraction to people who are messed up. He came to seek and to save sinners. And sin isn't pretty. It's ugly. It's sad. It's shameful. It's lonely. It's dark. It it hurts. And Jesus came looking for sinners, looking for sinners. Today, he scans the crowd for the one whose heart is broken. And and the brokenhearted have the full attention of Jesus. And you may feel like, nobody understands what I'm going through. And I don't really have any excuse for it. If I try to explain it, you can shoot me down. Jesus isn't going to shoot you down. He knows your heart. He, he has, he has the, he, those that are brokenhearted have His full attention. The Bible says in the Psalms, He is near to those that are of a broken heart and saves those who have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. God often favors those who don't have favor with men. Verse 32, Leah conceived and bore a son. She called his name Reuben, for she said, The Lord has surely looked on my affliction. God often favors those who don't have favor with men. That's common throughout the the history of the Bible and throughout human history. God listens when other people don't listen. He listens carefully. He listens with understanding. He looks and He listens. You have His attention. He sees when other people don't see. You ever have somebody listen to you but not listen? They're waiting for you to finish so they can say what they were going to say. They're listening but they're not looking at you when they're listening. They're texting someone or they're watching television. They're reading the paper or they're looking right at you but their mind is somewhere else. And you just feel this emptiness, this hollow sense. They're not really with me. They're not really listening to me. I was studying this this week and they say this, uh, there's a chunk of the culture tend to be women. And I don't know why they said this but the study was from about age 33 to 47 who often feel an intense, even if they're involved in, in a marriage and a family, act, feel an intense sense of disconnect, of loneliness, of alienation, because their emotional needs are not being met. That's a challenge to us that are men that have these women in our lives. I wondered, as I thought about this, I wondered about my own children and yours. If, if they need for us to take them out for coffee and look in their eye and ask them questions and then ask them more questions and then don't be shocked with the answers that they give us and then ask them more questions and then look them in the eye and probe even more deeply and really know them. I want to tell you that it's common for people to think they know the people that they live with but not really know the people that they live with. Now, Jesus is the kind of person who deeply understood people, especially when they hurt. And God looks here on Leah, and He understands her heart, and He compensates. He favors those who don't have favor with men. He listens to people that other people don't listen to. This is an incentive for us to pour our heart out to the Lord in prayer when we're hurting. He protects those that others don't cherish. Later on, do you remember what happens when Jacob is going to get connected with Esau again? And he's conned Esau, so he's afraid that Esau is going to kill him. So he decides what he's going to do is just send the women and children first. Remember this? Guy's a piece of work, isn't he? He's like, oh, seriously. And who does he send first? Yeah, Leah. It's like, well, I'm going to start killing people. I want to save my favorite wife till later. And out front goes poor Leah. 
How do you suppose she felt? I mean, just kind of reading into that, but I don't think much. But God, he protects those others don't cherish. got an email a while ago from a woman in a former church, and I inquired about how she's doing, and she told me kind of in a raw, candid way about the way her husband treated her. And she gave me details. And frankly, if the truth were told and the law knew, the guy could go to jail and should go to jail. But because he was slippery about it, he's avoided what he deserves. And the older I get and the more that I listen and the more that I pay attention, the more I realize there's a lot of damage going on, a lot of hurt going on, a lot of harm going on, a lot of women that need to be protected are not being protected. A lot of children that ought to be protected are not being protected. Sometimes men that ought to have somebody watching to protect them, to help them, they're not being protected. And I can tell you here today, based on the character of God, that when you aren't protected by those that are supposed to protect you, there is one who will protect you. And there are means, and he's given them in his word, and if you need counsel on that, then please come to us and let us give you counsel about how to be protected. But overall, what I'm saying here is that God, God can turn things that are ugly and dark and harmful and painful and shameful into something that's beautiful and useful, and that's the story of Leah. That's what he did with Leah. I like my Bibles. I I tend to buy more expensive Bibles, leather-bound Bibles, special Bibles. I've probably spent more than I should have on Bibles. And I take a Bible, I'll read through the Bible, and I'll mark it up. And then I'll get another one and mark it up. And it's probably maybe too much, too many. Hannah is 23. She turned 23 last week. But when she was little, she noticed that I would mark in my Bibles. So one day she got a marker pen, and she got one of my expensive leather-bound Bibles that I cherished, and she wrote in it. I said, Hannah... Sweetie, I think I was very sweet and kind and patient and loving. It's been a few years. I'm not sure I remember all the details, but I think I said something like this. Dear Hannah, she was an adorable little thing. Um, I said, Hannah, why did you scribble in my Bible? She said, I didn't scribble in your Bible. I drew an angel. Yeah. I'm like, it's an, oh, yeah, it is. I guess it is. It's a little, it's a little angel. You're right. Uh, how do you argue with that, right? Um, and so thereafter, whenever I would read that, and I gave that Bible to my son Kyle, and not long ago I was visiting with him, and I went over to a shelf and I saw that Bible. It was a Bible that I bought when I was a freshman at Moody Bible Institute. Leather-bound, a little Bible with a snap cover. Gave it to my son. The last time, one time when I was over, I was visiting, and I, I pulled that little Bible off, and I looked up that little angel. Hannah's grown up, graduated, drives, works, went to college, she's gone around drawing angels everywhere she went. Well, not too long ago, I got a call, a week ago or so, got a call from um, Dale McBride. He wanted to have breakfast with me for some reason. I'm like, okay. It's like, if you want to have breakfast with me, we can, we can work that out. He, he was smart. He, he had invited me to Bob Evans. So, so we're sitting in the window at Bob Evans, and I kind of think maybe he He's been hanging around a lot, you know, he's sort of like whenever I'm home, he, he's there, and, uh, which is cool. And uh, he's been hanging around a lot, showing a lot of attention to my family, and, and especially Hannah. And uh, 
And so he, he's, he and I are talking. We talked all around the world, didn't we? They all, <clears throat> talked about all kinds of things. And then finally I kind of like let this little silence go into the conversation like, so, why are we here? You know. And he told me that Hannah had been drawing angels on his heart and that maybe he'd like to marry her if it's okay with us. And we said, we thought you would never ask. And he, he started to tell me all about his finances and personal things. And I said, Dale, wait a minute. You're talking to a poor man. You love my girl. You're going to take care of her. Is it a deal? Yes, it is. And I said, this is a deal. So um, this summer they're going to get married. I've noticed that I've noticed that um, things that we think are dark, ugly marks in our life, the master artist Jesus can come and he can draw something beautiful around it, almost as if that's the way it was originally supposed to be. I say there were some fishermen in, in the highlands of Scotland once, and they'd been spending all day fishing, and then they went to... Billy Graham tells the story in, in his book, How to Be Born Again, they were, these, these fishermen were in the highlands of Scotland. They were fishing all day, having a great day. And they went to this inn in the mountains that night. And they were all talking animatedly about their fish and gesturing and so forth. And one of the men leaned back in his chair and made a wide gesture. And when he did that, he knocked the tea out of the waitress's hand and the tea splashed against the wall. And it made a big, ugly mark on the wall. And he began to apologize. Oh, no, look what I've done. And from another table, a man stood up. And his name was Sir Edwin Landseer. He said, no, no, it's fine. Let me take care of it. And he began to draw on the wall. He was a famous wildlife artist in Scotland. You look him up. He's famous for drawing wild animals. And on the wall of the inn, he drew this huge stag. And they changed the name of the inn. It became famous. And that's what I'm trying to tell you. Things that you come along and say, why is this scribbling in my life? Why did this mistake happen in my life? Why is my life so messed up? Why do I have these dark, shameful secrets? Can God take this, even something this bad, this dark, this hard, this sad, this lonely, this shameful, can He, can he make something beautiful out of that? And the answer is yes. His book is full of stories of people whose lives were all messed up and He drew something beautiful. He painted something beautiful with their life. But you have to yield to the Lord. And so believe that God knows your pain. Believe that God compensates for your suffering. And, and, and this is a, a key thing. In 1 Thessalonians 1.9, Paul's talking about when the Thessalonian believers came to the Lord. And here's how he described it. You turn to God, you turn from idols to serve the living and true God. And that's true with all of us. We have a choice. We can, we're, we're all going to worship, right? But we're going to worship something. If you worship your wife or the lions, that would be really dumb, wouldn't it? Or you worship sports or you worship money or you worship your, your job or all the, the, the good gifts that God's given to us. If we give them the affection and the love and the attention that really only God ought to have, of course we're not going to be happy because that's called inordinate affection. It's affection that's set on something that our affections were not made to be set on. God designed us to set our love and affections on the only one whose love is big enough to fully and completely satisfy us all of our lives. 
And so if you set your affection on something other than God, like you set your affection and your love on one of His gifts instead of Him, the Bible has a word for that. The Bible word for that is a harsh word. Idolatry. It's like you're worshiping something that's not God. It's like you're tired of what God has given you, and so you're turning to something else. And so idolatry and sin are always linked close together. Sin and idolatry are always linked close together. Somebody said it this way, sin is what we do when we're tired of what God gave to us. When we tire of God, that's when we sin. But the Bible teaches us that God's affection for us is continuous through His Son, Jesus, those of us who know the Lord. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, he demonstra- verse uh, 8, he demonstrated his love toward us. In that while we were yet filthy, rotten, dirty, shameful scoundrels, he died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Didn't you ever think about that? While our life looked like a mess, he drew something beautiful out of it. And that's why it says, the apostle, the aged apostle in 1 John, in the epistle of 1 John chapter 5 and verse 1, 21 says, Little children, whatever you do, keep yourself from idols. Don't worship anything but God. So this is for you that are lonely. This is for you that feel unloved. The reason we feel lonely and unloved is because we have our heart set on someone or something that can't love us enough. But if we set our heart on Jesus, He alone can love us enough. He can make us feel loved. He will love us. This is turning to God from idols. Remember the woman at the well? She was in, Remember this is John 4. She was immoral. Remember that? She had one man after another. It was kind of shameful. It was, she was immoral. Jesus knew that. Jesus knew she was immoral. You know what's interesting? He meets the woman at the well, and what does he say to her? You piece of trash. I know who you are. You're a piece of trash. And I know it, right? He he didn't call her bad names, like probably the ladies in town called her. Right? Do you think she was welcome in a synagogue? Do you think she hung out in the synagogue? Kind of highly doubt it. Right? One of the religious people probably passed on the other side of the street. Ladies wouldn't hang out with her. Jesus says, I can tell that you are... What did he say? I can tell you're... He didn't say I can tell you're immoral. He didn't say I can tell you're a piece of trash. He said, I can tell you're thirsty. I can tell you're thirsty. And I can satisfy. And I'm the only man that can ever fully satisfy that thirst. And he says the same thing to you today. He says the same thing to me. He looks us in the eye, even when we sin. And he says, I see your soul hunger. I see your thirsty. Stop trying to get from other people and other things what only I can give you. And when I give it to you, he would say to us, then you don't have to feel guilty. You don't have to feel bad. You don't have to repent. It's the way I made you. So turn from idols to worship God. There's another thing, and I think this is profound. It's almost like therapeutically profound. Go through these things if you're lonely or unloved. Say, okay, God, I know that you understand. And I realize you're going to compensate. So start watching for ways that God is going to take what just messed up your life and make you powerfully useful for Him. Something beautiful will grow in your life when you yield yourself to the Lord. Watch for Him to compensate. And then turn continually every day. Keep turning from idols to serve the living and true God. Worship God. You see, you have a choice between idolatry and worship. And worship is setting your affections on God 
and not on the good things that God has given. This is going to make it easier on your husband, right? Because if you put him in that place, even if he was a really, really, really good husband, and few of us really are, if he was a really, really, really good husband, he's still not God. He can't satisfy you. But here is something I've been just dying to tell you. Because I think this is a big knockout blow to loneliness, a big knockout blow to feeling unloved. I believe that if you will obediently do this out of a sense of love for the Lord and out of a sense of worship for the Lord, if you'll do what I'm going to put up here on the screen next, I believe that it will just deal the knockout blow to feeling unloved. And I'll tell you why I know it, because I've done it myself. And I'm the kid that no matter what school I went, and I'm not going to tell you a lot of details because you'd feel all bad for me and we don't want that. Oh, this is cool. The clock stopped at 20 minutes to 12. Don't you love it when it happens? It's like a Christmas present for you. It's like, I'm just kidding. I was a kid going home from school that they would pick on beat up and like I would go to another school and they would do it again. It was like, it must be something about me. I must have a sign hanging around my neck. So when I read about Leah in the Bible, it's just a sense, even though my life is full of people who are loving to me, full of people who love me, full of people who do nice things for me, for some crazy reason, I have this too, this great love hunger. And I have to wrestle with that. It's not a good thing. And I have to say, wait a minute. God is enough for me. God loves me. He's enough for me. But one night I was in a parsonage years ago, another place. I was in a parsonage and hurting over a broken relationship that I wanted to fix and couldn't. And wondering why this person didn't like me, really didn't like me, didn't love me, didn't like me, apparently couldn't stand me. It was just kind of an ongoing kind of a thing. And I started a fire in the parsonage that night in a fireplace. And I got to thinking about the Apostle Paul. I thought, well, he had it worse than me, right? Paul had it worse than me. Remember that? Shipwreck. I've never had that, you know, shipwreck. Um, I've never had, you know, I've never been beaten. You know, I've had some pretty mean church business meetings, but I've never actually been beaten. That was a joke, so I love you. I'm just trying to have fun with you. You know, I've never been beaten. Nobody's ever hit me with a rock while I was preaching. I think that some people look at me like they would like to have hit me with a rock. And, but that's never happened to me. And so I thought, well, I'll read Paul. Paul. Paul will have something to say about feeling unloved. And my goodness, did he ever. What I'm about to tell you, I want you to keep in mind and remember, this is so powerful. It works. It works. Stop concentrating on who's going to love me and start concentrating on who am I going to love. That's the deal right there. That's the secret right there. Here's the way Paul said it. Paul said, you know, this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 12. And Paul had said, even though I'm your spiritual father, you should be taking care of me, and you're not. I'm going to take care of you, and I'm going to love you anyway. In spite of yourselves, I'm paraphrasing. And then the passage says this. I will most gladly, therefore... Paul says, I will most gladly, therefore, rather spend and be spent for your souls, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. When I read that that night by the fireplace, it was like I had never seen that in the Bible before. And it occurred to me, I didn't go to that town to get people to love me. It's not my job to go around and get my wife to love me and my kids to love me and adore me and you to like me. It's not my job. It's not my calling. That's not a noble, high calling. 
It's not what Jesus did. But people all over the world adore Jesus. People all over the world sing about Jesus. Why? Because He came looking for people to love. And when we discover that secret, when we come looking for Leah's in our life, people that might live in our own house that hurts, and they're lonely, and they're sad, and they have pain in their life, and we give ourselves to love them, then we're going to find, ironically, it's kind of the way of a sense of fulfillment, I'm saying, look for Leah's to love to Christ. Now, I'm not saying you love them so they depend on you for love. I'm saying you show them how they can get all the love that they need from Jesus. Look, look for Leah's. I, I was in line not too long ago, uh, this couple weeks ago, at, at a place where I needed some help. And so uh, the clerk was uh, not very attractive. I mean, she was just mean. She was... She kind of didn't look you in the eye. She didn't pay careful attention to you. She didn't take good care of you. It seemed to me like, you ever have a clerk that seems like they're trying to explain different ways they don't intend to help you? (laughs) It just seemed like this woman is having a good time with me, telling me things that she just, I'm sorry, I can't do that. And to be very honest with you, I didn't feel very Christian or very charitable or very nice. And this lady just wasn't very attractive to me. I just looked at her and thought, man, what a creeper, you know, what in the world? If I had a job, help people, you know. And then, and then I had this little whisper. She walked away from the counter, and I had this little whisper, you know, you're supposed to be a Christian, so act like a Christian. So I didn't want to do that because it was like a, more fun not to. But uh, when she came back, I kind of went, I took a deep breath, and I said, so, you ready for Christmas? It was my peace offering to her, you know? And then everything changed. Because she looked at me, and she goes, nope, not ready, not going to be for a while. Uh, I have money to be ready for Christmas. And I said, oh, I'm the same way. We wait to the last minute. She goes, yeah, well, I'll be lucky if the last minute I'll be able to, you know. She didn't look different. She didn't act different. She didn't treat me that much differently. But my attitude toward her changed because I realized she was Aaliyah. She was one of those people that's in this dark, cold world, full of sin, probably confused, maybe doesn't know the Lord at all, maybe just having a rough day. There are Aaliyahs everywhere you look. And there are Aaliyahs on your pew. And there are Aaliyahs in your house. And if you concentrate on finding them and loving them to Jesus, it will be one of the great ways to overcome feeling unloved and lonely. Our family wants to bless you today in a special way. Thank you for the blessing you've been to all of us. And I ask uh, Chuck and Holly to come. And just as a Christmas blessing and a Christmas treat and a greeting for you, this is the last thing that's going to happen today. They're going to sing, and then we're going to go home.